0: G'day, May 40 here. So I've been reading this interesting book, fairly practical by an academic. It's called Chatter, the voice in our head, why it matters, and uh, how to harness it, right? So my mind's like a dangerous neighborhood that I, I should not enter alone. So often just a lot of chatter going on. In, in my head, so I like this book, a lot of information about why we, we experience all this uh, chatter, and then what does it really mean and how to harness it. So it just came out last year. So here's the story that really grabbed my attention about halfway through the book. There was an anthropologist who went to Papua New Guinea, which is just north of Australia where I grew up. And he lived with the tribes there to experience their culture firsthand. And he noticed that when the natives went on fishing expeditions in safe, shallow lagoons, they simply grabbed their fishing spears and their nets and they hopped into their canoes and they glided off. But when they fished in shark-infested, unpredictable waterways until they found their preferred spots, right, they behaved completely differently. So before setting off, they offered food to their ancestors. They rubbed herbs on their canoes. They chanted magical spells. Then they offered more magical incantations when they were out on the open sea. Right? So you notice with a lot of football players that they engage in a lot of rituals before a game because, I mean, you could get killed playing football. It's, uh, it's very intense. So the more dangerous, the more forbiddable, the more disquieting the activity you're about to participate in, the more likely you are going to use rituals so Southwest Airlines, they rebranded in 2014 with a new heart-shaped logo on the sides of its planes, and then pilots just began touching the logo as they stepped on board, and this just spread throughout the company. It it acts as a source of comfort when facing like daily inescapable risks of, of flight. So pretty much all cultures have these these uh, transmitted folkways of uh, dealing with you know formidable circumstances. So, Hall of Fame third baseman Wade Boggs, he fielded precisely 150 ground balls, he ran wind sprints at exactly 7.17 p.m. before a 7.35 start time, and he ate chicken before every game. Uh, For 33 years, Steve Jobs would look at himself in the mirror each morning and ask himself if that day was the last day of his life, whether he'd be happy with what he was going to do. So, we we evolve rituals and we often use religion to help us to confront painful, difficult, challenging circumstances, so rituals of which Orthodox Judaism has them in, in absolute abundance right they help us manage our inner voices right they 're like a chatter reducing cocktail right? they, they direct our attention away from what 's bothering us, they, they place demands on our working memory to carry out the task of the ritual and that leaves less room for anxiety and the negative inner voice. And that's why pre-game, pregame rituals are dominant in sports. Rituals provide us with a sense of order. What does Jordan Peterson talk about? Clean your room. right? Because when we do a ritual, we're performing behaviors we can control. So often in the workplace, when I had something particularly formidable that I had to take care of, I often like to do something simpler first, something that I could control. Like I could clean my area of my desk do some elementary tasks you know things that i can control and then up i go so we we can't control what happens to our children throughout their lives but when they are born we can we can baptize them or we can circumcise them or we can provide some you know perform some other ritual that that provides us with an illusion of control so rituals Almost always have meaning. They connect us with other people. We get energy from our connections with other people, and they purport to connect us to powers greater than ourselves, that are greater than our own individual concerns. So rituals help us to feel connected to the transcendent, to that which is truly important, to that which you know goes back in time, connects us to our immunity community, and that fulfills our emotional needs and it, it serves as a hedge against isolation. So. Rituals often furnish us with awe, which kind of broaden our perspective in ways that that tend to minimize how preoccupied we are by our temporary concerns. And so rituals activate the placebo mechanism. If we believe that these rituals help us, then they usually do. So the brain is constantly monitoring whether or not we're achieving our goals. And if we're making substantial progress towards our goals, most of us are going to be happy. If we're not making progress towards our goals, most of us are going to be depressed. So depression and emotions are usually uh, helping us. They're, They're telling us whether or not we're progressing to the life that we want. So our brain is like a thermostat. And when discrepancies emerge between our current state and our desired state, all right, the thermostat brings the temperature down, and rituals is, is one way that we, we do this. So we perform rituals within a culture, which is like the invisible air we breathe. And so we inhale these beliefs and practices that, that influence our, our mind and our behavior. So culture or, or religion, these are systems that give us tools to help us combat our inner chatter. My father, I was just looking it up. My father never wrote any books about depression because prior to the 1980s, most mental health issues were around anxiety and stress. And then the pharmaceutical industry came out with all these medications for depression. And then all sorts of things which used to be called anxiety were now called depression because then the psychiatrists could prescribe medication for it. So my father wrote all these books on stress and anxiety. But I just looked it up. I just put in Desmond Ford Depression. And uh, he talked very, very little about depression. Like he talks about dealing with stress, he talks about in the Garden of Gethsemane, he talks about eating right for type 2 diabetes, and he talks about the final r- roller coaster. So, do you know what the final roller coaster is? That's my dad's uh, 2010 book. The final roller coaster when Elijah and Jezebel ride again dad's pretty good with the titles so chatter should serve us right when we experience fear or anxiety or anger or distress this is frequently useful in small doses because these emotions mobilize us to respond effectively to changes in our environment so a lot of the time our inner voice is valuable blessings to you elliot blatt So we usually experience pain for a reason. We usually experience fear for a reason, anxiety for a reason, because all these things warn us of danger. They signal us to take action, and this provides us with survival advantage. People who have these instincts are more likely to survive, to reproduce the next generation. So each year, a small number of people are born with a genetic mutation that makes it impossible for them to feel pain. As a result, they almost always die young. So... You wouldn't want to live without this inner voice that will upset you much of the time because that would be like going out on the sea without a rudder. Laponius Maximus Meridius, blessings upon you and upon your family. May the sun shine upon you. May the cool breeze ease your transition through life. So rituals, it's a way of imposing order on our surroundings to help us to feel more comfortable and to think more clearly and to perform at higher levels. And then many of our beliefs about God and ultimate redemption and salvation, they can also serve to comfort us in in our distress. So... We, we usually want kind of a calming distance between our thoughts and our experiences. And this is useful when chatter strikes, but when it comes to joy, right, we want the opposite. We want to be immersed in life's most treasured moments to, to savor them. But anyway, at the back of this book, he lists tools that you can implement on your own to deal with chatter. So he talks about the ability to step back from the echo chamber of your mind. So to, Here's one tool that I use to deal with chatter. I usually leave an audible book running all night. So when I wake up, I don't have to get anxious that that I'm awake and think about getting up and watching Netflix. I can just, you know, let Stephen Cockton's volumes on Stalin just, you know, roll on by or particularly like books on World War 2. That that's how I get it get through the night. So Uh, Tools you can implement on your own to deal with chatter. Use distance self-talk. So when you try to work through a difficult experience, use your name and the second person you. So when I was thinking about should I move to Sydney, I, I thought about, oh, you know, what advice would I give to a friend in my situation who was thinking of doing this? So when we can create distance, such as imagine advising a friend, that tends to calm down the chatter. I find listening to an audible Talmud really has a calming effect on me. <laughs> so, what would you say to a friend who the same problem as you? Think about the advice you'd give that person, apply it to yourself. Uh, broaden your perspective. So when we've got chatter going on in our minds, usually means we're narrowly focusing on problems we're experiencing. And I am really susceptible to this. I couldn't find a power cord about an hour ago, I was like, "I've got to find this power cord. I can't do anything else until I get my hands on this power cord." It's supposed to be right here, and it was right there. It was just under a rat's nest of of other power cords. So I get like very focused. If if I've gotten out of the sea and I'm feeling sticky, like I'm not going to be happy till like, I like get home and, and take a shower and like cleanse all the the salt off, and then I'll be able to think more broadly. So. So if you broaden your perspective, that usually helps dealing with chatter. So you can think about how the experience you're worrying about compares with other adverse events that you've endured, how it fits into the broader scheme of your life and the world, and how other people you admire would respond to the same situation. So that that may even just make me more anxious. Like, oh, people I admire, they deal with this missing power cord much more calmly, but I've got to get it fixed right now, and I can't think about anything else till I find this bloody cord. I get very like fixated many of my employers said this I get fixated on one thing and I, I ignore ignore the bigger picture then reframe your experience as a challenge so tra- chatter is triggered when we interpret a situation as a threat so if we reinterpret the situation as a challenge that we can handle by reminding yourself of how you've succeeded in similar situations in the past okay, I like that Okay, those are tools you can implement on your own. Right, tools for receiving chatter support. Build a board of advisors. And so I've, I've done that for about as long as I've been online. Like the, the Luke Ford Advisory Committee. So I'm constantly running things by other people because I often have really bad judgment and I often lack uh, common sense. So I find the right people to talk to. So some people are skilled at advising on work problems. Other people are better suited on interpersonal problems. So that's the other good thing about belonging to a church or a synagogue or to a club. Belonging, right? Community. It's easier to then turn to people for advice. Uh, Seek out physical contact. You need a hug, bro, right? Get a hug or even a handshake or a massage. Look at a photo of a loved one. Yeah. Thinking about people you love, looking at a photo of someone I love, that has a really good effect on me. That's that's one tool for effective communication is over the camera put a picture of someone you love Right, that helps you to make your case more effectively. Because just looking at a camera, most people can't look at a camera and, and communicate effectively. But if it's not a camera you're looking at, it's really you know, this, this person that you love, that changes you. Right, When you think about how much you love someone, it, it changes your state. It reminds you of your vulnerabilities. It reminds you of how, how vulnerable you, you are, how you need other people, and how you don't want to do anything that damages those connections. It uh, kind of calms you down. Thinking about someone I love right now uh, makes you happy, makes you grateful, right? And when you come from a place of, of gratitude, you usually make uh, better decisions. And all these things kind of help you get more, more in touch with reality. And uh, if you embrace a comforting teddy bear or a security blanket. Yeah, so often when things get really bad, I just like crawl into bed. I might not emerge for 20 minutes or two hours, but uh, a lot of comfort from crawling into bed. Uh, perform a ritual with others. So yeah, go to synagogue or go to church, pray, study Talmud. Tools that involve the environment. So create order in your environment. Clean your room, bro. Because when we experience shatter, we feel like we're losing control. Now thoughts start to spiral. Right? So we can boost our sense of control by imposing order on our surroundings. We can tidy up our workspace, our home space. We can make a list. We can arrange objects. Then the uh, second tool for... Controlling chatter, increase your exposure to green spaces. Yeah, so I think one reason that I was so ecstatic during my two months in Australia is that, you know, it's outside in nature. Like even Sydney, this, the biggest city in Australia, there are just so many parks and such spectacular oceans. So spending time in green spaces helps replenish the brain's limited attentional reserves. So go for a walk in a tree-lined street. Lots of beautiful trees in Beverly Hills. Stare at a photograph. So sometimes I just like to look at video of Yosemite. I think Yosemite is the most beautiful place on earth. Or just listen to a sound machine that that conveys natural sounds. So you can surround the spaces in which you live and work with greenery. And and that's a boon to the inner voice. And then three, seek out awe-inspiring experiences. Like listen to Handel's Messiah. Go to church. Go to an awesome synagogue. Transcend your current concerns and that puts things in perspective. So when I flew out of Los Angeles, like everything I was worried about in LA just sort of disappeared. You know, like travel is immensely broadening and provides perspective. So getting out into nature, uh, you know, looking at a piece of art you know, tuning into awesome music, like finding out what instills a sense of awe in you and then cultivate that emotion and you find your internal dialogue spiraling. So I also try to create spaces around me that elicit feelings of awe each time I I glance at them. So I have all these beautiful, inspiring posters, All right? And and I look at the the Western Wall in Jerusalem, look at the holy city of Jerusalem, so much rich 3,000 years of history, and it fills me with a feeling of awe, makes me feel connected to a people with a particular history. And it kind of puts everything else in perspective. Bye-bye.